Good afternoon, and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Will Murphy, filling in this afternoon for the usual host, Herald Times editor Bob Zaltzberg. We hope he returns to this microphone soon. Also today in the studio, Mary Catherine Carmichael, the usual co-host. And we have two guests in the studio. Nancy Woolery, she is the City of Bloomington Health Projects Coordinator. And Sheldon Geller, a member of the Martin Luther King Jr. Commission for the City of Bloomington. And the topic today is going to be sort of in the broad picture, health care. And specifically uh, a session that the uh, city and others are going to hold next week to talk about the questions, the challenges, uh, the issues involved in expanding access to health care and all the all the different cans of worms that that, that open up, opens up. But before we get to the issues, let's talk about phone numbers. If you'd like to join the program, you're more than welcome to. The number here in Bloomington is 855-0811. Toll free outside the Bloomington area, 877-285-9348. And if you'd like to offer a comment or question via email, the address is noon at indiana.edu. Nancy, Sheldon, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. Our pleasure. Now, let's start off, first of all, by uh, talking a little bit about why the MLK Commission decided to pick this particular topic. We were talking before the program, Sheldon, how last year the uh, topic that they picked was uh, religion and public life. Why was health care the topic of uh, this uh, community meeting that is going to be taking place next week? One of the main purposes of the Martin Luther King Commission is to uh, perpetuate the, his legacy and ideas and spiritual leadership. And because uh, Dr. King wasn't just a champion of civil rights for the black community, he was a champion of human rights and social justice for all. And as you, some of you may remember, before he was assassinated, he was planning to lead a march to support sanitation workers in Memphis in their struggle to earn a living wage to properly feed and clothe their families. Now, health care is a human right and a question of social justice. So we believe that if Martin, Dr. King were alive today, he'd be in the forefront in fighting for access to affordable health care for all Americans. And that's one of the reasons uh, why we chose health care as the topic for our town meeting, which is going to be on October 3rd. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that. I don't know uh, uh, if this is something. Nancy, you're going to be on the panel, so perhaps I'll direct this to you. What's the sort of scope of this meeting next week? What do you hope comes out of it? Well, um, I think the scope is how we can build a better health care system in our community. Um, we know statistics-wise that one out of three people in the United States under the age of 65 went without health insurance for all or part of the two-year period from 2002 to 2003. And that's... Um, from the Families USA report in June of 2004. I'm sorry, one out of how many? One out of three. One out of three. Mm -hmm. that's, that's staggering. It is staggering. And um, I work with the city of Bloomington in health-related projects. And one of the projects that I do is getting children um, enrolled into the Hoosier HealthWise program, with, which is a state children's health insurance program. Um, so I have parents come in all the time who don't have insurance themselves but are trying desperately to get their children some type of coverage. And when I ask them why they don't health insur have health insurance, excuse me, it's because um, the number one reason is cost. And even if they are working, which most of them are working, um, their employer may not be able to afford health insurance if they work for a small business or um, they still have to pay some kind of premiums and co-pays. So um, they go without health insurance, meaning that they don't go to the doctor for wellness checks. They don't go in for tests. Um, they don't do preventive care. And I think it's an um, issue that we really need to address because I think everyone should be able to have good, adequate, affordable health care in our country. Can we back up a little bit and sort of talk about what you do with the city when you talk about health projects coordinator? You talked about the HealthWise program and working with kids. What other kind of stuff do you uh, do in your aegis as uh, health projects coordinator? Well, um, one of my projects was uh, working with the Bloomington Smoking Ordinance. Um, that was a fairly long process. <laughs> 
And uh, But it was real interesting to work on that from the beginning to now and still be working on it um, because I'm the one who gets the complaints. I'm the one who um, has to talk to legal if there is um, a citation that has to be issued to a business. And we also um, work with a um, group called the Monroe County Tobacco Coalition. And our coalition receives funding from the state um, to do programs in the community related to either tobacco prevention, tobacco cessation, um, and things like that. So we've pretty much been the uh, leaders when it comes to the smoking ban and go out in different communities and talk about how we did this from the beginning until now. Another thing that I do is I write a lot of grants, and one of the uh, grant proposals that I received this spring was from the Community Foundation, and the project that I'm working on now is called a Healthy Neighbors Initiative, and what we're trying to do is target low-income families, so we're going around different areas um, to provide health education screenings as well as health education programs. We had a huge health fair um, August 1st up at Crestmont as part of their their National Night Out program. And what the grant um, proposed um, is that we did a survey at that time to find out what kind of programs people are interested in. And then we also have a nurse that's working with us. And through the screenings, uh, we did find some people who had high blood pressure or diabetes problems. Um, maybe some uh, heart problems as well. So we're trying to get them health care, whether that is um, through the CHAPS clinic or somewhere where we can send them so they can get care, and then we're going to follow up with that. That sounds like a program that requires a lot of partners. Yes, and we do have a lot of partners. We have Bloomington Hospital. We have um, the Monroe County Health Department. We have the Evergreen Institute, Phil Stafford's group. Um. uh, Bloomington Housing Authority, and there are others. Center for Behavioral Health is going to do some um, mental health screenings for us. So it did take a lot of collaboration. And and as part of my job, that's what I do, is collaborate with other agencies to provide programs in the community. Because, you know, there's so much to do, but when you've got other agencies that can have the support, then it just goes a lot further. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a massive portfolio that you're carrying. (laughs) Now let's talk about this meeting next Tuesday. Again, it's uh, at 6.30 p.m. at the uh, Monroe County Library. Um, what do you I, – I, I hinted at this earlier, but I, I want to get more specific about it. What do you hope comes out of this? I mean, is this a session where people get together and talk for two hours, everybody goes home, and nothing happens, uh, but they feel like they've addressed the issue? Is something going to come out of this? Uh, yes, I think something will come out of it. We have a wonderful group of panelists that represent different sectors – uh, of the community, Dr. Edward Marshall uh, is the dean of the uh, assistant dean of the School of Optometry. We have uh, politicians. We have the head of the Chaps Clinic. We have people from the private sector, Kem Hawkins. <clears throat> we have people representing the clergy, and of course, Nancy is going to be on it. So we have all representatives of different aspects of society, and each of them are going to come with their ideas not only analyzing it but also presenting ideas about what can be done here in Bloomington and Monroe County uh, to improve the health care system, particularly for the uninsured and the underinsured. And what we'd like to see come out of this is a grassroots community movement that would support some of the propositions that are going to be made uh, and that will involve a broad uh, cross-section of our community, including the, uh, the uninsured, the underinsured, so that we will try and deliberate and find solutions to these problems at all levels of government and multiple mechanisms for making a better health care system for, for our community. Now, I know just a couple of these panelists that you've got on here, Vice Simpson, for example, has for a long time been uh, working to, if nothing else, expand the pool of folks who are insured uh, through state employment or through uh, auxiliary groups just to, to broaden the pool, as she says, so that folks uh, can have lower rates. Rob Stone has been working a long, long time uh, with his group to uh, to advance this cause. Uh, it seems to me like health care and the cost of health care and access to health care is like the weather. I mean, a lot of folks are working on it. A lot of people are talking about it. But there never seems to be very much progress about uh, making it accessible, making it affordable. Why do you think that is? 
Well, I think part of it is the uh, emphasis has been on the cost of it rather than what is the purpose of, of having good health care. Uh, a second reason is, uh, is the uh, powerful interests that are opposing a, a universal health care system. Uh, but let's go back. We lack the, a political will here because we're not framing the issue in terms that speak to everybody. If it's just a question, oh, the poor have this and the underinsured have this problem and this one has it and children have this, we're fragmenting the problem. But if we go back to a, the spiritual and moral values and starting with the premise, life is sacred, we're all made in the image of God, that the act of healing is the highest form of imitating God, that to heal is to do the work of God, that to save one human life is like saving the entire universe. All of our religious traditions uh, pray for healing. We're enjoined to visit the sick, to console the mourners. Uh, We're expected to have compassion for human suffering. Now, if we can present the issue in this way, how can we alleviate human suffering? How can we make life better for our fellow human beings? Then I think we can marshal support for finding solutions uh, to, to, this, to these issues. Nancy, want to add anything to this? Um, when I found out I was going to be a guest on the show, I did email Dr. Stone to see if there was anything he wanted me to mention. And he said, of <coughs> course, um, ideas that are going to be brought up is, you know, the primary issues are access and affordability. And the only way to ensure that everyone has access to health care is agree as a community or as a society, as Sheldon mentioned, that health care is a basic human right. And it is our responsibility to come up with a plan that includes everyone. And that's pretty much the core belief that's underlying Rob Stone's group, the Hoosiers for a Common Sense Health Plan, and why it says uh, Citizens United for Universal Health Care Right. Um, and that's the name that's under their website. Um, but he also said the harder question is how do you achieve the universal health care coverage? And um, they believe that the only way to do that is by expanding Medicare to everyone, uh, to cover everyone, because Medicare, of course, is the health care program for um, the seniors, 65 and over. It's much more efficient than the private um, insurance industry, and because it has had success at controlling costs. Um, and overall, we spend about 31% of our health care dollars on overhead and administration. That's where the fat can be cut to pay for covering the uninsured. So there are so many um, high costs that go towards administrating health care programs. Um, of course, um, again, um, the high cost of prescription drugs. Um, so if we can you know, institute some kind of a program like Medicare that's been successful for so many years where everybody can get covered and go to the doctor and go to the hospital, then we hope it'll work that way. Okay. Well, let's, let me be devil's advocate on this. I, right. I don't always play that role, but I, I'm going to today. All right. Let's say that we have – we uh, th- this meeting happens Tuesday night at 630 at the library and people come to consensus that, yes, we definitely, you know, as a community, we want to be able to provide health care to all of our citizens. Um, how – possible or realistic is that really? Because as soon as we start talking about real um, universal health care, immediately you mention a national program. And so even if we have the will locally to provide health care for all of our citizens, is that a, a realistic goal? Well, I, I agree it may be more difficult to get to a national health care program, but Right now, uh, there's a CHAPS clinic, uh, which is taking care of only about 10 or 11 percent of the uninsured. I think one of the things that we're going to see are proposals about how we can create a clinic that would be able to uh, serve more than 11 percent of the people uh, in need who are uninsured. So these are going to be concrete things. I think you're going to hear propositions about what can be done uh, to improve health education, uh, what can the private sector do. Uh, so I think we're going to be more than just talking about we want a national health care system. Uh, Vice Simpson is also pushing for a state-level health care system. But the focus on this uh, town meeting is going to be more on what we can do now concretely. Uh, one of the participants is uh, Dr. Winston Schindel from uh, Volunteers in Medicine. And I think he uh, – volunteers is one way of doing it. 
there's the Monroe uh, County religious leaders. They've been discussing how can they get their congregations involved in this health care issue and how could they spread the word about information about what are the existing programs and what could be done to, uh, uh, to support and expand them through volunteers. We're also going to talk about how can we get the uninsured and un- underinsured involved in coming up with ideas and uh, volunteering their time to participate in some of these mechanisms that might come out of this meeting. Okay. I've still got my devil's advocate hat on. All right. We expand the CHAPS clinic. Um, we, we do a bang-up job at preventative <coughs> programs. We get volunteers. We get you know faith-based organizations involved. We get so good at this. I can see that this could be, and, you know, we should be so lucky to have this problem, but but mm-hmm. that uh, if, if we actually do tackle this, it seems to me that if I were um, it, it, looking for health care from anywhere, if I hear about Bloomington, I'm coming here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That'll be good for our economy. <laughs> well, what I would like to see it. Uh, uh, my, my field is, is democracy, and I've worked in Africa at grassroots level. And I think democracy has to be built from the bottom up. And I think what we could do is not that everybody will come here, but that other communities could see that what can be done at the local level and also generate support for improving the system at the state and national level. So let's build a grassroots movement using Bloomington as a possible model from what we're learning here about what can be done and not be done, and then spreading the word around and making links with other communities and other groups and other health professionals and other clergy. Uh, We talked about Martin Luther King. One of the reasons why the civil rights movement was successful uh, was that he started at the grassroots but developed allies throughout the country. And what I'd like to see is sort of a national... uh, Healthcare rights coalition, uh, which would be led by the clergy, I think, which would be nonpartisan and which would appeal to everybody because we all should be concerned about each other's health and, 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 and well-being. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was going to add uh, to what Sheldon said about starting um, programs in our community. And with the volunteers in medicine, I know that they went to Columbus co- Columbus has a good uh, program there that started, I believe, in 1996. And um, so we're trying to institute that program here in Bloomington. Um, And Sheldon also mentioned the CHAP Clinic, which, you know, is a wonderful place, but really they can't serve all the people that need to go there. And uh, this grant that I was talking about, our neighborhood nurse actually found someone at the Crestmont area that had a problem with diabetes and didn't have a doctor and tried to get into the CHAP clinic for some reason had to wait quite a while, too long before they could see a doctor. So she referred this person to the clinic in Spencer. There's a public health clinic there. Uh, Fortunately, that patient was able to go there because they had transportation. So, you know, got treated and everything. And, and, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, there's more and more people uninsured that need health care. And when the CHAPS clinic started, you know, we were addressing those people. But now the need is even greater. That's a terrifying situation to even contemplate, to have that sort of uh, face that sort of illness. Mm-hmm. And not Diabetes really isn't known for its patients. No. no. Yeah. Uh, before we get too much further, I want to remind our listeners, if in case they just joined us, uh, this is Noon Edition, and our guest today, are Nancy Woolery, the City of Bloomington Health Projects Coordinator, and uh, Sheldon Geller with the Martin Luther King Commission. And we're talking uh, in broad uh, brushstrokes about uh, the question of accessibility and affordability of health care, and more specifically about a forum next week uh, on uh, the 3rd of October uh, that's going to be held at the Monroe County Library at 6.30 that it will uh, address uh, this very topic. If you'd like to join us uh, and participate in this conversation, offer your two cents. 855-0811 is the number in Bloomington. 877-285-9348 is the toll-free number outside of the Bloomington area. And the email address, if you'd like to uh, drop a note, uh, is noon at indiana.edu. Now, we might just speak briefly about whether this is really the role of government, where the solution comes from. Is it a governmental solution? Is it something, as you envision it, that happens um, through the religious community? I mean, what, how does that fusion work if you're, th- if, you're th- if you're thinking of solutions? 
Well, I think we all have a role to do in it. The clergy has, has a role to exercise to raise the issue that it's a scandal that, some, that we have so many people who die or suffer because they don't have access uh, to health care. It's a government issue, but at all levels, because the purpose of government and democracy is to provide for the common good. And uh, we've been blessed with a deliberative democracy where supposedly citizens are to participate in decision-making and discuss issues. So government has a role, and different levels of government have different roles, and that's what we have to come up with. Uh, the private sector ha- has, has, has a role to play, and the, and the ordinary citizen, we're all patients, so we all have a role to play. So it isn't government versus the market. It's how can we work together to co-produce a better health care system. Sheldon, you seem very well informed on this. So I'd like to have your opinion. Um, during the Clinton, Clinton administration, they really made health care a, a big focus of, of their efforts. And yet, you know, it seemed as though they came away at the end of the, their t- the two terms with very little progress along those lines. Maybe I'm being cynical, but um, what's your take on that? And why did that seem to just get end up dead in the water? Uh, I think number one is that the public doesn't understand that we really don't have the best health care system in the world and that having a national health care system is some kind of aberration. We're practically the only one of the industrialized countries uh, that don't have a national health care plan. So you think people are scared about having to pay more taxes in order uh, to make this happen? Yeah, but the irony is is that we're paying more taxes to private insurance companies are per capita cost are 50 percent or more than the cost to any other country. Our mortality rates are higher. Uh, our infant mortality rate is, is higher. And we have loads of people that are not covered. And one of the reasons for that is because when you privatize a public good like health care, the incentive for private insurance companies is to make money and not to uh, – it's not patient-oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have a national health care system, then you avoid a lot of the cost of administration because you're not looking about how to, how much to charge people and who to, uh, who to exclude. Uh, many of the people working for private insurance companies are there to see how they can get you off the insurance roll or force you to pay high premiums so you can't afford assurance. And I think American public has to be informed about what are the alternatives? If you think that we have the best system and you don't – so then you're not going to look for other alternatives. Well, first we have to start out with looking at our own system and comparing it with others. And I think then people will be less scared. Uh, mm-hmm. OK. Um, Thank you. I want to come back to that in just a second. But we do have a caller on the line. Let's go to Pat. Yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, I have a, a little bit of a soapbox on medical education. Uh, when when I went to school, we learned first aid, we learned home nursing, and things like that. And nowadays, the, the school education seems to be mostly reproduction and sex, and uh, there's not much about if, if you get hurt, you're supposed to go to the doctor. Well, you know, there's a lot to be said for people that can uh, have a disease and they survive because their mother or their grandmother is a very good home nurse. Not a, not a nurse, a registered nurse, but just a good home nurse. And kids don't stay home from school. They may have a terrible fever and their kids send their, their parents send them to school anyway because they have to go to work. And, you know, it's difficult. But, uh, we need some teaching on how to handle a skinned knee and not go to the emergency room for it. All righty. Uh, Nancy, that sounds like something right up your uh, alley. It seems like education is part and parcel of what you do. Yes. And, um, and why are you teaching kids about sex and not about skin? <laughs> the problem is that a lot of uh, people who don't have insurance and don't know about certain programs that they qualify for do use the emergency room Um for primary care. So if their child has a co, uh, I'm sorry, a cold or an earache um, or whatever, they do take them to the emergency room and that's where the health care costs go up. Mm-hmm. So we try to educate families, you know, as part of our program. Um, 
the hospital used to give out a wonderful book, um, the Community Health Education Department, and it was a book talking about how to um, take care of illnesses and injuries at home, kind of a self-care, um, health care book. Um, so, you know, there are ways to educate, but um, there are a lot of parents who just take their kids to the emergency room. That's their, That's you know, health care system. Mm-hmm. We do. We're about at the time where we take a break, but we have a couple of calls that I'd like to get to before mm-hmm. we do that. So let's uh, let's go to the phones, and Stan is on the line. Stan, if you could keep Hi, it brief. I'd like to recommend people look at the most recent issue of the Economist magazine, which of course has a lot of dry statistical information. But one of the points that's raised is that in societies that have uniform health care, there's much less problem with the flat or lowering wage levels that are being experienced right now in this country. And it's true that while the big money men and the stocks are going up, wages uh, have either stayed flat or gone down. And I know, and and it's pretty common knowledge, that doctors are very unhappy with the insurance complexities. And it seems to me that education in this country has to include leadership by people who aren't afraid to say, yes, it sounds like socialized medicine, but we have socialism for the rich right now in our export uh, warranties uh, for, for big companies selling overseas. They have insurance programs for them. We've got so much money involved in making money in the healthcare business that it is a national security matter, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. That's all I had to say. Thank you, Stan. So we'll reference folks to The Economist if they want to take a look at that article. He, he references this whole question of socialized medicine, but I'm in, intrigued the way things have changed now. It seems it's businesses a lot uh, these days who are talking about the need for um, for some kind of universal health care. When they talk about uh, looking at a location where they want to locate, they look at healthy populations. They look at uh, the affordability of health care in that state. Um, it's become a vital question for the private sector. And unfortunately, our state, the state of Indiana, is not a very healthy state. We rate one of the highest for um, smokers and also for um, overweight population. And the number of insured in Indiana is growing at twice the national average. We actually rank 23 among the states in the number of uninsured persons as well. Um, And I think businesses uh, realize that if you can provide good uh, health insurance or health care for employees. Um, it's going to keep them well. It's going to keep them out of the hospital. It's going to help their business because they're not going to call in sick all the time. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, before we proceed, we have one more caller. Let's get to Dave, who's been patiently waiting. Dave? Thank you. You know, that was a wonderful segue into what I was planning to comment about. Okay. Um, one of the things that I've noticed recently is there's uh, some people who um, have negative things to say about Walmart because they have a minimal health insurance and they, they keep their costs down partly by providing a health plan that doesn't have lots of benefits compared to some other plans. And we also hear about how General Motors has trouble being competitive because of their health insurance and, and the pension plan that they put in place over the years. And one of the questions that comes up to my mind is why why, if I'm an employer, if I was an employer, why would I not want universal health care? Health care. Um, it makes sense to me that it would level the playing field and make us more competitive internationally. And uh, also, when you figure that you're going to cut out between 15 and 18 percent of the total cost just by if we had a plan that was similar to our current Medicare, Medicaid models that really operate on a 2 or 3% overhead compared to the 18 to 25% that we have in private health care organizations. Why don't we do this just based on the economic reality that it would save us money and it would take the burden off of the employers? Thank, all right. Thank you for that comment. Uh, any response from you guys? Well, I think that you're right. I think that in, in the next few years, there is going to be a broader movement in support of universal health care. But part of the problem is the way we use words and scare people. When you say socialized medicine, I was a kid when Harry Truman introduced the national health care plan. And rather than using words to scare off people, let's just look at the contents of the program. Uh, we have Social Security. Is that socialism? And if 
It doesn't make any difference what is the purpose of a national health care program. It's to sh- spread the cost out and to take care of everybody. I was a kid when Richard Nixon tried to uh, go at it. It didn't work for him, and he's not somebody, even though he opened relations with China, I wouldn't call him a socialist. <laughs> so it's been going on for quite some time. We're about uh, 24 minutes away from the end of this program, and so uh, if you'd like to join the program, I'd encourage you to do so quickly. Uh, we're talking with Nancy Woolery, the City of Bloomington Health Projects Coordinator, and Sheldon Geller, a member of the Martin Luther King Commission for the City of Bloomington, and the topic is health care. We invite your participation as well, but right now it's time to take a break. You're listening to Noon Edition. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. This evening, the Bloomington Symphony Orchestra plays the Eroica by Beethoven at 7.30 in the Evangelical Community Church. Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4, it's the 50th anniversary walk for the animals in 3rd Street Park. On Friday, October 6th, an evening with Hoagie Carmichael, a fundraiser for the Brown County Friends of the Public Library. And on Sunday, October 8th, the Kokomo Community Concerts presents Putin' on the Hits, music of Irving Berlin. More about all of these on our website, wfiu.indiana.edu. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Will Murphy, News Director at WFIU, filling in for Bob Zaltzberg, who we hope is back at this microphone soon. Also in the studios, co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And we have two guests this afternoon, Nancy Woolery, the City of Bloomington Health Projects Coordinator, and Sheldon Geller, who's a member of the City of Bloomington Martin Luther King Commission. And the commission has uh, set up a, a meeting next week. It's sort of annual meeting. Uh, they do this sort of thing every fall. And uh, this year, the topic of uh, the session is health care, accessibility, affordability, and so on. That meeting takes place uh, next, the third is Tuesday, is that right? Mm -hmm. Next Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. at the Monroe County Public Library. If you'd like to join the program, we have about uh, 20 minutes or so left. The number in Bloomington is 855-0811, toll-free 877-285-9348. And if you'd like to send a comment via email, the address is noon at indiana.edu. Uh, Sheldon, before the break, you were mentioning how you'd like to see this meeting be a sort of template, that the city might come up with some kind of model that other people in other communities, in other areas of the country could follow. Is there any template that we can look at from uh, other parts of of the country where communities have gotten together or a community and said, we can't take this anymore and we're setting up uh, some kind of program to do what we can? Well, I'm not an expert on this, but I know that some states, uh, like Vermont, have introduced programs to see to it all children are covered, and uh, there are all kinds of efforts being uh, taken in other states and at the community level, but I'm not a specialist. Maybe uh, Nancy would know more about that than I, than <laughs> uh, I would. Probably Rob would know more than me. <laughs> uh, though, for example, at Columbus, this uh, Volunteers for Medicine has had some interesting experiments in providing I believe in Columbus there's also a clinic for Hispanics uh, run by doctors that speak Spanish fluently, and that's that's helped uh, quite a bit. Okay. Just to piggyback on what Sheldon said, there are states that have um, better coverage for um, the children, maybe not so much better because Indiana, you know, has pretty good coverage, but their income eligibility guidelines and their Medicaid guidelines are much higher, so you can insure more kids. And some states also um, have expanded that to the parents of the kids who can cannot afford health insurance. And 
I know Indiana tried to do that several years ago, tried to expand that coverage to parents, and it never happened. This is a legislative action that just didn't take off? Right. Okay. Right. And you're also saying that the income threshold is, is uh, worse in Indiana than in other states? Other states may have higher um, eligibility guidelines. Each state you know, develops their own program, decides what's covered, um, what the income eligibility guidelines are, and so forth. And what is it in Indiana? Well, in Indiana, for a family of four, let's say, an example, um, a mom, dad, and two kids couldn't make more than $35,000 a year in order to get coverage. Hmm. So, you know, you may have families that just fall between the cracks. They make too much money, yet they don't make enough to be able to afford health care for their kids. Can you speak to how the city of Bloomington's... uh panoply of programs compares to other communities, what the city of Bloomington does versus um, other cities around the state or around the country? Are there things you'd like to do that you, can, that you, you don't have on your plate right now? Um, <laughs> well, um, I'm just really interested in getting more um, kids covered and parents covered for this program. Um, I've been real fortunate because when I was first hired at the city, I was hired under a grant uh, by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation called Covering Kids. And it was a national program, and every state was able to hire people to do outreach. So um, when the program expanded back in 1998, when they did raise the income eligibility guidelines, and I might say that Vi Simpson was very implemental in in getting that program going, the CHIP program in Indiana, um, I was able to get out there and really do a lot of outreach um, with agencies, the schools, um, parents, kids, um, just making the word available. And we have in um, Monroe County enrolled a lot of kids, but there's a lot of kids that still need coverage. And now I'm getting real frustrated with this program because as of August the 15th, um, we need to uh, verify and get more documentation for kids and parents to sign up than we did in the past. And it's been kind of frustrating because at first, um, you know, Indiana was really a model program because it was so easy. You know, the application is only one page. We, all we needed was 30 days of income, and boom, that was about it. But now um, there's all kind of documentation, copies of birth certificates and driver's license. And mm. so this is fairly new, and it scares me because I think, well, you know, maybe – a lot of kids will be falling off the program because it may be a hassle, you know, to get this information. Then they won't come in and sign up. And It seems know. to me like this is a situation where you pay one way or another. That is to say, uh, you let if you're concerned about the cost of this program, you either pay for it now or you pay for it later. Mm-hmm. But that's it. I mean, that's just my – can well, we get to the well, phone before you – No. Okay. <laughs> Why the additional paperwork? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with um, – documentation as far as um, the 9-11 stuff, you know, to make sure that you are a U.S. citizen, because if you're not... Because we wouldn't want you healthy if you're not a Right. (laughs) If you're not a U.S. citizen, kids do not get full coverage. They only get emergency care, which means, you know, catastrophic care. So, um, you know, they just want to verify that, you know, you qualify for full benefits in the program. Okay. Now may I go to the phone? You may. Thank you. We have Jenna on the line. Jenna? Hi. Um, I, I admit that the uh, problems of our health care are, are vast. Our system is vast. Um, but in Bloomington, it's really easy to get good health care. Um, and, unfortunately, irresponsibly prescribed medications. Um, I have a range of experience with insurance coverage by the state and that I hire the homeless and other people that tend to be less academically inclined and uh, have had one grandmother in the Medicare system and one who was able to afford complete coverage for anything in her old age. Um, and I myself have been covered by the CHAPS clinic and find uh, and try to tell people about it who are, you know, it tends to be that the ones that are um, less academically inclined don't either know about it or don't want to sign up or are afraid that the state would know where they are. So it seems that anyone who wants to be covered can if they fall under the financial requirements. Um, And certainly if I could, uh, they could uh, sign up and participate. 
um, I've taken people to the emergency department because they didn't have anything for strep throat, and they ended up being given uh, antibiotics and then also a pain medicine. You know, those pain medicines we talk about that are narcotic. And I said, I'm not paying for that part. <laughs> you can get the antibiotics, you know, but not the... And I, I, I in my whole life, had never been prescribed pain medicine for a strep throat. Um, the last thing that I wanted to say is that my, my father, who could always afford health care, only had the catastrophic when I was small. Now, um, that was probably because he felt he could afford the everyday, and they were aware that they needed the everyday. But these people that I hire are kind of like not aware of what they need or what they can. They feel kind of disenfranchised, but they know that they can be covered in Bloomington, so they come here. It's, um, I guess, one of the problems I found with my, or the biggest problem I found with both grandmothers, the one that could afford everything and the one that couldn't afford anything, was the quality, the inability of the um, nursing homes to provide the basics um, to do what they say they're going to do in their brochures. Mm -hmm. Thank you very All much right. Thanks, for Jenna. listening to me. <laughs> no, thank you. And you raise a host of issues that I think it's unlikely we're going to be able to cover in 13 minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the question of education that uh, you're speaking to. How do you reach these people who are, in many cases, off the radar of, of most systems? Um, I guess the only way you address that is you make universal health care so that you know if you walk into a hospital or a doctor's office, you'll get some sort of attention. Uh, you bring up a whole another topic that we haven't really gotten to uh, in any substance, which is the question of senior care. Um, and that's a, a whole other question. The mm -hmm. question of uh, if we've got insurance uh, companies paying for things, there's a tendency to give people pills, 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 pills um, to do whatever it uh, takes and sometimes not what it takes just to cover um, possible legal action, whatever it is, to give people medical attention they don't need because somebody's paying for it somewhere. Uh, is this an issue that you guys can speak to? I think it is an issue, and um, I think there's a lot of seniors out there that go without medication because, um, well, of course, we have the new Medicare prescription drug program, but I was involved in that with helping uh, seniors get on that program, and it's just a mess. I mean, it's really... Has it sorted out at well? I mean, there were a lot of complaints, but you heard grumblings that it was maybe coming together. Well, I've heard, but we'll see, because in November and December, um, I'm going to help Area 10 Agency on Aging with doing open enrollments, because okay. every November, seniors who haven't signed up for this program can... But the ones that I've helped, I mean, number one, you either have to have a computer and get on there and try to figure out what kind of a plan you have or call the Medicare number and you may be on hold for 45 minutes to an hour. And I just talked to someone the other day who said she helped her mother get on the program, you know, and she's a very – the person who helped her mother is a very educated woman, and she got on there and said there was no way my mother could have done this. Oh. You know, she's got the computer, but – there's 43 different plans in Indiana that they can choose from. And then what happens is a lot of people think if they choose a plan, it may be better than, let's say, if they do have coverage. And it turns out that they're paying more money for the Medicare plan. And a lot of people just haven't enrolled because they don't understand. They don't have access to enroll. And they are going out uh, without medication. Um, but I do want to put a plug in for the CHAP clinic because they do um, – give medication to patients, and they can pay for it, but it's a very low cost. So um, if there's someone who can't afford medication, they could also go to the CHAP clinic for that. Are there numbers or places we can refer them to get information? Um, I could give you the phone number for the CHAPS clinic, which is 353-2901. Okay. What do folks want to get in touch with your office and find out what's available? Well, they can call me at 349-3851 or email me at woolery, W-O-O-L-E-R-Y-N, at bloomington.in.gov. Okay. Thank you. Now, earlier in the program, um, you were speaking about how you see health care as a moral question, a justice question, sort of in, in, the, in the tradition of, of Dr. King. But really, economically, it's got to have some ramification. I mean, there is an economic question involved, whether one likes it or not. Uh, 
Can you speak a little bit, uh, please, about what the ramifications might be as you see it economically if one has a universal health care system? What are the ramifications for uh, the health care economy? Uh, That's well, a big, big question. Yeah. Well, there's also controversy. Uh, but I think that with the money one would save with the administrative costs, uh, Medicare is roughly 3 to 4 percent administrative cost and private sector is anywhere from 18 to 25, 30. But there's a huge difference and we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. Fifteen percent of national product now is going for health care. We're talking about $2 trillion. If we would save 20 percent of that, uh, you could cover everybody without having increases. We also have to think about litigation. What's the best way of dealing with that issue where doctors overprescribe tests and medicines in order not to be sued? What are the mechanisms for solving that problem? Part of it is a breakdown in trust. When I was a kid, you trusted your doctor. Now, because of the lack of trust and everybody thinking in terms of commercialization, you're ready to sue at the drop of the hat. Uh, we have a problem which artificially increases the cost of health care but without serving patients. There's also health education, nutrition. There are all kinds of things that could be done to cut the cost. If you have more emphasis on preventive medicine, then you're not going to have the higher cost of dealing with people who get sick. You know, we mentioned obesity in this state. Diabetes is becoming a national epidemic, especially among young people. So there are all kinds of ways in which we can reduce the cost of medicine without – it's not just spending more on what we already have or spending less on what we have because we can't afford it. It's what can we do, how can we use our brains and our will to find mechanisms to provide an affordable quality health care system for all of our people the way it's done in many other countries. Mm-hmm. That just reminded me. It just, it, the problem is, is um, confounded when um, – People wait so long and then a problem that could have been caught easily or tended to easily early on then has time to to get worse and really become a crisis situation. And so I I really like this emphasis on preventative care and and, uh, I think that's going to – another way is pay me now or pay me later. And as you mentioned earlier in the program, Will, and I think that this is an important thing to look at when you consider this. One of our callers earlier referenced this uh, article in The Economist. There's a recent article in The New Yorker. about how uh, it was about a number of homeless people in, I think, uh, Las Vegas or something and how this guy would get out of uh, detox. He'd go out on the street. He'd live for a while. uh, He'd fall back into his own ways. He'd go back to detox. And every time this guy went back, he was costing the state, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars uh, because there was no insurance or there was no uh, way to sort of do a preventive care on this guy. And you think of that cost spread across even the dozens of people in Bloomington who probably fit that scenario. The cost is really staggering. That's not a question. It's just another <laughs> another yeah. magazine reference, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> not just The Economist, but, uh, but The New Yorker as well. I'd like to know what your reception from the local medical community has been um, as the MLK Commission has taken on this topic. Have you had a lot of dialogue with representatives from the I, you know the various medical communities in Bloomington? Yes. Uh, in fact, Bloomington Hospital sponsored a, a discussion uh, which Dr. Stone and Dr. Marshall uh, present, made presentations and most of the people at that meeting were, were health professionals. Uh, my own family doctor is interested in in this issue. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of doctors that are not happy with the with the present uh, way of doing medicine because they have to spend so much time dealing with paperwork for insurance companies and fighting for insurance companies. Mm-hmm. I'm a senior citizen. I remember you know, even 30 years ago when you walked into a doctor's office, the doctor may have had one receptionist, and that receptionist greeted you and kept and kept the records. Now you walk into a, a clinic. You, before you see a doctor, you have to pass through receptionist and this one and that one and this one. And the, the, we're also losing the personal touch. It's not. It, it's becoming more and more dehumanized. We're being treated more and more like machines rather than human beings. And part of it is this uh, is this approach of uh, how do you justify taking care of a patient? 
Okay. We have just about five more minutes, and we have a caller on the line. We're able to fit in just uh, one or two more calls. And uh, let's go to John. Uh, yes, hi. Um, uh, one quick comment first. Uh, I think the reason we don't have a national health care system is because of the lack of political will on the part of any of our leaders. Um, okay. Beyond that, uh, suddenly, I, I like your idea of uh, uh, church leaders uh, taking some uh, uh, lead in this uh seeking a, a national health care system, but uh, as you get religious leaders and, and people uh, motivated to be involved, I wonder how far you're going to get down the road before you run into Roe v. Wade and uh, birth control issues, and uh, and then, you know, do you throw out women's reproductive rights with uh, with uh, national health care system? Hmm. Uh, That's a good question. Well, I think if we stick to the issue, which is health care, we don't have to agree on everything. And uh, to to be involved with one issue doesn't make you involved with with another issue. There's no litmus test for for us to pass. Uh, There were many groups involved with civil rights. Uh, Not all of them were were left or right or anything like that. Uh, But they rallied around the idea that, you know, all men are – all people are equal and that it's disgraceful to treat uh, black people the way we're treating them, to segregate them, uh, to kill them for wanting to vote. And uh, I think we can agree if you go to the Bloomington Hospital, you'll see that all representatives, regardless of what they think on other issues, whether it's gay marriage or abortion, they're all there to console the mourners. They're there to visit the sick. They're They're there to promote a healing ministry. And that's what we have to focus but what on. But what I'm seeing is, is as we try to go to a national health care system, uh, those who are so vehemently opposed to uh, abortion and even even birth control are it's just like, you know, you're going to run up against this wall that says, you know, that's not going to be included, included in any national health care system that we're willing to support. Okay. Now, I, I'm not going to be one of those, but, <laughs> you know, I think you're going to run into that wall. Okay, John, thank you very much. We're going to have to uh, cut it off there because of uh, time considerations, but we might ask our, our uh, guests to speak very quickly. Well, I guess we can ask them to speak very quickly. The engineer has <laughs> given me the one-minute sign. <laughs> so let's just talk briefly about this meeting next week. Give us an overview who's going to be there and maybe some contact numbers. Well, um, some of the people on the panel, um, as Sheldon referenced earlier, the moderator is going to be Dr. Ed Marshall from the IU School of Optometry. Uh, Senator Simpson will be there, um, Dr. Stone, Kim Hawkins, Winston Schindel, uh, John Vandersee from the hospital, and myself. And um, this will be at the library Tuesday, October 3rd at 6.30. And uh, we're hoping that we can get a lot of people out there who have an interest in this topic and that uh, we can actually get some grassroots efforts started, not just to sit around and talk about this because we've done it so many times, but maybe get something get some going. actual action. Mm-hmm. All righty. We're going to have to leave it there. I want to thank our guest, Nancy Woolery, the uh, City of Bloomington Health Projects Coordinator, and Sheldon Geller, a member of the Martin Luther King Commission, for joining us this afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you also to Mary Catherine Carmichael. Bob, we miss you. We'll we look forward to seeing you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks also to uh, our producer, Catherine Hageman, and our engineer, Mike Pashkash. For all of us, I'm Will Murphy. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>